Need to clear up just a couple things first. Will got up and said, I'm 55, and there's people that are 20 years older than that here. (laughs) Then the song leader sings ancient words. That is not my official walk-up song, by the way. (laughs) Actually, I requested that this morning. I I won't blame that on Jace. I requested that we sing ancient words because it so well fits what we're talking about today. Uh, The words of that song are good. Uh, Holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world, they resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart words of life, words of hope, give us strength, help us cope in this world. Wherever we roam, ancient words will guide us home. Ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you. We have come with open hearts, so let the ancient words impart. I hope that all of my sermons are worth listening to in some way, worth hearing, but there's very few of the sermons I've preached over the years that I would ask or expect you to remember forever. I know that's not realistic, but today's... I hope you remember it, Uh, at least the title. Uh, Some of you young people here have got another 60, 70 years. Someday you'll be as old as Will, you know, I mean, and some of you have a fewer years left, Uh, but whether you've got another year or two or 70 more years, I hope that at some point in, in certain situations, however old you are, It comes to your mind, the first question. I remember what the first question taught me. So let's find out about the first question. Let's read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It's the story of the fall of man in Genesis 3. The writer says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave her some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There's the first question. Did God really say? That question started all our troubles, and it still today causes all of our troubles. It's the source of all of our problems. 
We see the news, and we watch what's happening in this world, and we wonder, what's wrong with this world? Well, the answer is the first question. The first question is what's wrong with this world. Let's see what we can learn from this one simple little question. I've got four things to tell you about it. First of all, the first question reveals the nature of Satan. It teaches us who Satan is. He is a deceiver. He starts out by asking a question. It's the wrong question. Uh, The first thing to notice about this, he asks the wrong question. Well, why is it wrong? Because he, this question doesn't seek God's will. This question seeks to avoid God's will. Let me give you an example. Parents have children old enough to leave alone for the first time or two. So they leave them alone, they go out, and before they leave, they say, kids, okay, do this, don't do this. Those are the two rules. Okay, at some point in the evening... Somebody's going to question that. Okay? And one of the children, probably the first, because they're always the responsible ones, will say, what did mom and dad say? Okay? Another child, probably the third, will say, did they really mean that? Okay, you see the difference in those two questions? One of them is seeking the parents' will. What did mom and dad say? The other one is seeking to get around it, to avoid it, to do something that, you know, mom and dad didn't mean that. Did they really say that? Well, that's where Satan starts. He says, did God really say? ESV and some other translations say, did God actually say? I don't know what tone of voice the servant used, but you can hear it in there. Did God actually say? Maybe it was, did God actually say? I don't know how he asked it, but he was asking the wrong question. That tells us the nature of Satan. Jesus expanded on the nature of Satan in John 8, chapter, uh, John, chapter 8, 44. He said, he was a murderer. From the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That is his character, his nature is to lie. His purpose is to murder mankind by by separating us from God. We learn about the nature of Satan. Uh, That helps when you know somebody lies all the time. That's all they ever do. You can be on your lookout for him. Another thing this teaches us about the nature of Satan. Notice, Satan doesn't work face to face. Okay. Very rarely will you find a place in life or in the Bible where he worked face to face. I think with Jesus, maybe in the wilderness was the only one close. Okay. Otherwise, he comes through something or someone. He came through the serpent. 
And even more than that, he didn't go directly to Adam. He came through Eve. Uh, Why is that important to know? Well, 2 Timothy 2.14 says, Adam was not deceived. Did you know that? Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam knew what God said. Adam knew. He heard it firsthand from God. Read Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And he commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then... Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. God told Adam, don't eat from the tree or you'll die. Then he made Eve. Now, I don't know if God reinforced it to Eve or not, but Eve got the message from Adam. On her first tour of the garden, Adam told her, that one we don't eat from, God said. Now, there may be a fine distinction, but Adam heard firsthand the Word of God. Eve heard about the Word of God. And the reason I think that is because she even got it wrong. When Satan quizzed her about that, Eve said, yeah, he said we weren't supposed to eat from it and we shouldn't even touch it. God didn't say that. Satan went through her first. He didn't go directly to Adam. Adam was not deceived. He was persuaded by somebody that was close to him to ignore what God said. Now, that's got some present day applications. <laughs> Second Corinthians eleven three, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, I'm afraid that like Eve was deceived by Satan, your thoughts will be led astray. Now, it's good to know the Word of God, and if you're not sure, check what the Word of God is, but be aware that Satan will not appear in person to you and point to a verse and say, that's not true. That's not how Satan works. He didn't go directly to Adam and say, God didn't mean that. He went through the serpent and then through Eve, and then Adam was persuaded All of that happened. Satan will use someone close to you. Maybe a good person. Maybe somebody you like. Maybe somebody you love. And that person might say something to you like, well, I've chosen a lifestyle that you thought was wrong. (laughs) Uh, But you like me, you know me, you know I'm a good person. You know God wouldn't condemn me. Did God really say? We can learn that from the first question. Satan's nature is to lie, to deceive, to ask the wrong question. He'll use peer pressure, social media, entertainment, anything to make you wonder. Did God really say that? 
The second thing we learn from the first question is that it attacks the character of God. That's why it's such a dangerous question. Specifically, the goodness of God. We can look at all the characteristics of God, but we sang this morning about how God is so good. Read Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. What's Satan saying in that question, in that statement? What he's telling her is, God's not dealing straight with you. God told you don't eat from that tree or you'll die. (laughs) No, he's holding something back from you. He's holding the good stuff back from you. If you eat from that, you won't die. You'll be like him. So God is not good. He's keeping the good away from you. And the word of the Lord says this. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. When Jesus came, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. God is good. The first question attacks that. But we need to understand God is good. That is his nature. He wants the best for you. That's what Jesus is saying. I want the abundant life for people. Now, Satan or somebody working for him will look at the rules and will look at the rules and say, well, those are limits. Those are restrictions. Those are restraints on you having fun. Those keep you from being fulfilled. And what God says, what Jesus says is, I made the rules for your good. Because I'm a good God. I made the rules for your protection because I'm a good God. I made them so you could have the best life, the abundant life. Some of you may remember years ago, I I did a whole series on the abundant life, and we looked at every area of life, every area, family, finances, relationships, church, work, anything you're involved in, if you follow God's principles, things go better. If you follow God's principles, you have the abundant life in every area. And Satan turns that on his head and says, God isn't good. He's keeping something from you. Third thing about the first question. The first question allows man to be God. This is a tough one. This is the worst one. Well, it's at the root of it because this was Satan's problem. This was Satan's own problem. He rebelled against God. His pride made him want to be God. Got him kicked out of heaven. And it's also mankind's problem. We want to be God. (laughs) Even if we know what God said sometimes. We, We still don't want to accept that he meant it. Because we know better. You know, our logic, our reason, our feelings, we've we got to honor those somehow. 
And the first question allows us to substitute logic and reason and feelings and our wisdom and be God. Look at Eve. After Satan presented all this to her, then it says Eve looked at the fruit and said, that it tastes good. And it's really pretty. It's beautiful. It looks good. And I think it would make me wise. I'd, I'd be more like God. That was her reasoning. That was her feeling after she had been deceived. Well, the problem was that is she's relying on her logic, her reason, her feelings. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things. Man's heart leads us astray. That's why we have God's teaching to lead us home, to guide us through. To, to do all the things that ancient words are supposed to do. But you see, man gets so educated, so sophisticated, so advanced, so tolerant, so wise, that we know better. And when we get to know better, and we get to be God, what could go wrong with that? I mean, I'm sure Eve asked that. Yeah, it looks good. I bet it tastes good. And it'll make me wild. What could go wrong? Well, lots of things go wrong. We have the freedom to choose. Uh, we got free will, but we suffer the consequences when we make the wrong choice. And Eve reasoned and felt her way right into the death penalty. Speaking of death penalty. Let's just take a little side road here for an illustration. And I picked this because some of you won't like it. Okay? And that's what I want. I want you to understand what the first question does to us and how it does it to us. Uh, if I ask you a question of how many of you support the death penalty? Okay? Now, according to polls, according to all the information about this kind of demographic, this kind of religious group, your belief about the Bible, all that. It's about 50-50. If I ask, half of you would say, yes, I support the death penalty. And half of you would say, no, that's inhumane. We shouldn't do that. Okay, so we're kind of split on that, I would assume. Now, let's work through this. Genesis 9-6, God said, God really did say, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. God clearly said, if you murder someone, you forfeit the right to live in society. Because life is that valuable. I made man in the image of God. And I want to teach you the value of life. Now, he had safeguards, he had witness laws, he had judges, he had all of that stuff. We don't worry about that. But it was a certain thing. The word of the Lord was, if you murder someone, you die. Okay. In the New Testament, Paul said the government's got that power. That's what the government does. They bear the sword for a reason. They punish evil. 
And, and most of history followed that principle. Now, I don't know exactly when it was in my lifetime, 50 years or so ago, the last 50 years ago. We've got so enlightened and so compassionate that we got smart enough to ask, did God really say that? And our answer was, our reasoning, our feeling was that, well, we shouldn't enforce the death penalty. It's not humane. It's a, a wrong thing. We're, we're better than that. So we outlawed it in a lot of places. We changed the rules to make it nicer if we ever did do it, but we don't do it, basically. Very few people get executed these days. Okay? Now, the 50% of you that said, no, I'm against the death penalty, uh, you've got your reasons. You've heard reasons from the culture. You say, well, it's not a deterrent anyway. All the statistics prove that. Uh, and we might make mistakes. We may execute somebody that's really innocent. And it's barbaric. And God said, don't kill. So we must have been wrong on this death penalty thing because he said, don't kill. We have all these reasons and all these thinkings, and I understand you're sincere in that, but I want to stop and ask, as an illustration of the first question, I want to stop and ask, how's that working out for us? When we ask the question and we substitute our reasoning and our logic and our feelings for what God clearly said. And I'm not talking about crime stats or, or murder rates or anything like that. I'm talking about the principle of what God said. The principle is that life is valuable. And we set out to say, well, we value life so we won't execute anybody. And what we've done is devalued life. And God told us that would happen. He said in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. My thoughts and my ways are higher above your thoughts and your ways than the heavens are above the earth. You are not qualified to be God, is what that verse says. God said, you murder someone, you forfeit your life. Life is that valuable. I made you in the image of God. Our thoughts are... Well, we can improve on that. We can be more, more humane. And we get to make that choice, but what are the consequences? What are our consequences? Our consequences are that now human life is cheap. Human life is not valuable. You don't believe me? Check the news some night. Every weekend is open season on humans. In big cities. Every week somebody somewhere goes on a killing spree in a school or a nightclub or a parade or a concert or a mall. In the last 50 years we've killed 63 million babies. That's 2,000 a day. You tell me we have not devalued life? And I know there's lots of other reasons and complications and all that, but I want you to understand 
when we look at changing just one thing because we know better, how's it work out? And we want to be God. And the first question allows us to play God, but we're not good at being God. And you can pick any other major destroyer of society. Pick anything you want. The destruction of the family, sexual perversions, addictions, corrupt government, mental illness. Pick anything. You pick it and see what we've done to the Word of God. And we're not good at being God. Now, it's easy to, to think about this whole sermon and, and point over there and say, okay, the world does this, the culture does this, media does this, Hollywood does this. And, and yes, that's where a lot of it comes from. But Satan doesn't just use Hollywood and atheistic professors to ask the question, does God really say that? He's got a whole lot of people working in the churches to ask that. He's got a lot of religious folks asking that question. The latest infatuation, for some reason, with making homosexuality and gender fluidity and all this thing acceptable, is not just in the world, it's in the churches. There are lots and lots of churches who fully endorse and celebrate what God says is wrong. And you say, well, how, did, how do you get there? If you claim to study this book and believe God said some things, how do you get to a position like that? Well, you, you restudy the issues. And what I mean by that is you study the Bible not to find God's will, not to ask the right question, but you start with the first question. Actually, you start with the answer you want, and then you stu- restudy the Bible with the first question in mind. Did God really say that? And you find ways around it. You throw in some obscure Greek words, you quote a few other people who question what God said, and voila, you've restudied. And what you've done is you've taken 6,000 years of what the law and the prophets said, what Jesus said, what the apostles said, what the church fathers said, what every scholar, important scholar in the history of the world has understood as clearly moral and immoral. And you take all that and say, they were wrong. We know better. We've restudied the issue. God didn't really say what he said. The problem with that is, if you look in this book to see what God said, he said, I created them male and female. I designed sex for one man and one woman in marriage. He said, anything else is unnatural and an abomination. That's what God said. But man wants to be God, so he finds a way around it. The first question allows us to be God. Fourth thing, let's go quickly to. 
The first question leads to death. Whoops. Forgot to read you that one. You can read it yourself when you get home. Fourth point. The first question leads to death. Chapter 2 and verse 17 of Genesis says, The day you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Adam and Eve ate from that tree, and the curses fell. Serpent was cursed, man was cursed, woman was cursed, the earth was cursed. Man and woman were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Angels guarded the gate, a flaming sword separated them from the tree of life. The first question, actually Eve's deception by the first question, changed everything. The world's been groaning ever since. We've been suffering ever since. The wrong answer to that question still leads to death. Let's look at some verses. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. Jesus, once again, let's remember, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Second Peter talks about the people who twist scriptures. That's what we've been talking about. He said, those who are ignorant and unstable twist the scriptures to mean something quite different. And this will result in their destruction. Okay? I would use more tactful language for people that twist the scriptures. But the Holy Spirit told Peter, you write down that when they trust the Scriptures, they are ignorant and unstable. They're responding to the first question in the wrong way. They do it to their destruction. When we twist the Scriptures, we reap death, we reap a less abundant life, we reach unimag- reap unimaginable evil. I admit all this is kind of depressing. Uh, To see the first question and how much of a mess that the first question has caused and causes. Let me propose an answer uh, that hopefully will give us some hope. All you got to do is just scramble the words. You take the four words, did God really say? And you scramble those a little bit into, God really did say. Okay, that's the answer. Psalmist in Psalm 119.11 explained that to us. He said, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? So that I won't sin. If the first question does all those bad things we looked at, if we, we don't answer it right, then the answer is, when anybody asks the first question, did, did God really say? The answer is, God really did say. Now, to apply that, you've got to know the Word of God. You've got to read things that teach the Word of God. You've got to hang around with people that respect the Word of God. If you do that enough, then you can say, yes, God really did say. That's the way it worked. <laughs> Back in the Old Testament, when Moses gave the, all the commandments, the laws, and all that, then he wrote in Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, God says, these, rules, these are the rules, and they ought to be on your hearts. 
And you need to teach them. You need to talk about them all the time. You need to teach your children. You can bind them on your hands, bind them on your forehead, put them on the doorpost, keep them before you all the time. The more you hear the word of the Lord, the better. That's one of the reasons to go to church. I know we come to worship God and we come to fellowship and we do all these things. But when you come to this place, you hear ancient words reinforced. That's good. You hear the ancient words read and sung and prayed and taught. And you hear people say, God really did say. You don't hear that much in the world, but you should hear it at church. Now, I admit, you can go to churches where they don't talk about God really did say. They spend all their time on the first question. They spend time thinking about, did God really say? Okay, my advice for you, if you find yourself in a church like that, run, Forrest, run. Run like the wind. Because that will lead nowhere good. When you start saying, did God really say, let's, let's study this. Okay. Now, I don't mean we shouldn't discuss hard topics, but we ought to do so with the right question. What did God say? Okay. Uh, find a church where they say, God really did say. I, I believe Northside's that kind of church. But we're not a perfect church. Uh, but I think we're that kind of church. I pray we will always be. No, we're not a perfect church. I always tell people, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't join this one. You'll, you'll ruin it. Yeah. Well, we don't want people that expect a perfect church. Uh, but Northside, I think, has a high regard for the word. Uh, we say a lot that God really did say that. I'm debating whether to spend time on this or not, but I will because I think it makes an illustration. Uh, Northside believes that baptism is essential. We believe that's when God saves us. We believe he said that. He really did say that in the Bible. And I know there's lots of churches that say, did God really say that? And they've come up with another answer through reason and logic and feeling and, and all of that. They've come up that, no, baptism doesn't really save you. It's not necessary. In fact, there are some churches of Christ who have restudied the issue and figured out that God really didn't mean what he said. Uh, so, so we know that goes on. Uh, interesting thing, in the last few weeks around here at Northside, uh, some of you may have seen this little three-page piece of paper. Uh, somebody, I don't know who, it's unknown, uh, has been leaving these around. It says up there at the top, does water baptism save? And inside there's seven reasons that Mark 16.16 16 doesn't mean what Mark 16.16 16 says. Okay, Now, these have been left on our info booth. You, you may have been a visitor and picked one up. Uh, they've been taped to our outside doors. They've been left in restrooms. Uh, somebody's passing these around. Uh, I, I don't know what their mission is. I don't know what they 
expect to accomplish, uh, I assume they're very sincere and they believe this. Okay? Now, the only reason I tell you about this is because it's a great illustration of how the first question works and how the first question ought to work. Now, if you don't know the word of the Lord, if you're not familiar with it, you may pick this up on our info booth and take it home and read it and look through it. And if you don't know the word of the Lord, those seven reasons in there may lead you to where Eve got to. Well, that looks good. That tastes kind of all right. Makes sense to me. If it feels like that ought to be all right. And I guess if I, now that I understand that, I'm, I'm wiser than those people that think Mark 16, 16 means what Mark 16, 16 says. That's not the answer. The answer is not how reasonable do these seven things seem to me or how, how do I feel about them. The answer is what does the word of the Lord say? Okay. Uh, and that's how we ought to settle things around here. So if you're the one that's been distributing these uh, anonymously or if you picked one up and glanced at it and are wondering, did God really say that? If you're in one of those kind of people, I invite you to sit down. Let's get the Bible out and look at it. I'm happy to see what it says. Uh, we'll test the seven points against God's Word to see if God really said that or if He didn't. Now, I, and I'm being sincere about this. I promise. Uh, I preach again in three weeks, I think, at the end of July. I promise that if you'll come to me after church and say, let's sit down and study this. I'm wondering, did God really say that? Let's go through it. And we'll figure out what the Word of God says. And I promise you that if your seven points hold up, God really said that, that the next time I preach, I'll get up here and I'll tell this church the truth. I'll tell them after studying this, Mark 16, 16 doesn't mean what it says. The, these seven points proved it because they're in the word of the Lord. I, I'd be happy to do that. The reason I'd be happy to do that, and I'm sincere about this, because whichever way our study turned out, the right answer is always God really did say. If you know what God really did say, that's the answer. So if that turns out to be the answer, I'll get up and tell this church what the right answer is. All right, I hope the first question study has been helpful to you. Let me propose in the few minutes we got left that we also ought to think about the second question. Genesis chapter 3-9 is the second question in the Bible. The first one, Satan asked. The second one, God asked. Adam and Eve had sinned. They knew they had done wrong. They hid from God. God came for his morning chat. He said, where are you? That's the second question in the Bible. Where are you? Now, let me tell you, Adam and Eve weren't that well hidden 
You know, <laughs> God was not wondering where they were because God doesn't answer questions that he needs an answer to. He asks rhetorical questions, which are questions that mean you don't need an answer. You ask a question to make a point. You ask a question to make people think. And God asks rhetorical questions. So that's what he did to Adam and Eve. He said, where are you? God asked reflective questions. And that's what he was doing with Adam and Eve. He said, where are you? And what he was saying in that question is, we were one. We, we were together. We had a relationship. We walked together every day. And you disobeyed the one rule that I gave you, and you know that, and I know that. So where are you now? And the answer in a reflective question, if Adam and Eve were honest, they would have to say, well, I'm hiding from you. Our relationship is broken. We're separated from you. We're starting to see the consequences of disobedience. Satan still asks the first question, and God still asks the second question. Where are you? In relationship to today's lesson, where are you? Have you bought into some of the things that culture has sold you? If so, you go back to the word of the Lord. Get lined up with God really did say this. That's the answer. But bigger than that, as applies to eternity, where are you? Are you in a good relationship with the Lord? Or are you hiding from him? You're avoiding him. About ready to give up on him. God asks those questions to make us think. But he also asks them because he wants to know. He really wants to know where you are. He'd like to know where you are this morning. God's design for our lives. I hope we've got that across this morning. Bring out the best of life, the abundant life. And you may have made some really bad choices. You may have chosen the wrong thing over and over and over, and you're seeing the consequences, and you're struggling, and you see no way out. Here's some good news for you. If you're outside God's design, it doesn't mean that you're outside God's redemption. You can very well be way outside God's design and be suffering because of it. And he still asks, where are you? Because he wants to know. He wants you in relationship with him. You're not outside his redemption. Just listen to what God's word really did say, really does say. It says the wages of sin is death. It says if you die in your sin, you will be eternally separated from him. But it says he so loved you. He loved you so much that he sent his only son to die to pay for those sins so that you could be with him. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
God really did say that. And if you understand that and understand that he's a good God, it matters not where you are in bad choices and your past. It matters, are you in Christ? There's no condemnation in Christ. And you may not understand how to get into Christ. The Bible clearly says it. If you don't, go go to the back during our invitation song. Our elders will help you understand what it takes to get in Christ where there is no condemnation. Any other questions you have about what we've said this morning or what we teach here, go to the back and talk to one of our shepherds. Let's stand and sing. If you need to go, go.